One announcement. May 27th is our next Connect party. So if you are newer, newer to Element or been around a wire, felt like you haven't uh, connected that well, uh, you're welcome to come to that. Put that on your calendars. Uh, we will feed you some dessert and we'll hang out with some gospel community leaders, uh, uh, some of the other elders at Element. You can ask us any questions you want and we'll just get to know you guys a little bit better. You can get to know us a little bit. So May 27th, put that on your calendars. Uh, so we are starting a new series today. Oh, I don't, dang it. I thought I grabbed one. I didn't. Okay. So these, uh, are your, are your sermon notes on the tables, but inside of these sermon notes, I move, I am like the flash. I move so fast that the wind just, yeah. So we have these things. I thought, did I not? Holy cow. You should be first service, your practice. Um, okay, so what we also have on the community tables are these. Uh, these are Proverbs reading lists. And we decided to do this so that uh, they're not going to, because Proverbs is a book that's not linear, it kind of it kind of jumps around. These also, if you want to read through the book of Proverbs over the next 19 weeks with us as we do it, here's a little reading plan of just which ones to read during what weeks, and it'll get you to the end of the book of Proverbs by the time that we end the book of Proverbs. So if you'd like to grab one of those, uh, you can do that. Um, as I said, there are sermon notes on the community tables throughout the room. They look like this. Got questions inside to go through. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. Uh, you will get the sermon notes. Uh, is the reading plan in there, Michael? Is the reading plan in the Uversion? No, okay. So grab the hard copy for that. Uh, you'll get sermon notes, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And it says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people uh, who trust you, who live in the ways that you call us to, that we would understand all the things that we talked about and didn't see that coming, all the things that have brought us to where we are today. And that you would then have us begin to live those things out in ways that bring glory and honor to your name because you are good. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are starting this new series, like I said, uh, called Proverbs. It's going to take us through summer. That is 19 weeks for us. It might be 17 for you, but I'm counting 19 because we're always long-winded. Uh, we're going to go through, like I said, the book of Proverbs. Uh, it talks about wisdom because our world, world sorely needs wisdom today. We are calling this series counter culture. I almost didn't call it that because it sounds really negative, like we're against something. We want to be counter to this. It's not that we're against something. We are for creating a culture that honors Jesus in all things. We are for freedom instead of slavery. We're for hope instead of despair. We're for life instead of death. We are for the good news that God wants to bring through the gospel into our lives. So we're calling it counterculture because it's kind of the opposite of how our culture functions today. Like our culture today teaches enslavement to all of our weird and whacked out desires is real freedom. Them, but it's not. Jesus is the one who truly wants us free. So this series is going to be based upon verses, uh, but it's not going to be like we normally do. This is called textual or, or topical. We're going to talk about texts and launch off, but we are going to be as biblical as possible because this is element. That's just how we roll. Uh, today, I'm going to give you a framework for Proverbs, because if you don't understand Proverbs, you can make it into a self-help kind of thing. Like, how do I raise my kids? You know, Chapter 9, how do I talk to my spouse? You know, page 25, whatever. That's Proverbs is so much bigger than that. The theme throughout the book of Proverbs is wisdom. We're going to cover different things each week, but it comes down to a cultural mandate for us. And today when we start off the book of Proverbs, I'm not even going to read you any Proverbs. 
I know it sounds weird to call a book that and not even talk about Proverbs, but but my intro, I wrote my intro. By the time I was done, I'm like, oh, I got to cut that in half because my intro is actually two weeks long. (laughs) I'm sorry. I am sorry. So I'm going to give you some practical advice today about wisdom and knowledge and culture and kind of launch into where we're going next week with that. Hopefully today will be very practical and we'll learn some stuff and walk out together understanding what we're called to. We've got to understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom to start off in understanding this because biblically knowledge is good. We should be a people who are known by knowledge. We should know things. But I also think knowledge just in and of itself can be bad. Like if knowledge doesn't go anywhere, if it doesn't live properly, it will destroy and not build up. Anyone ever hear see the show Breaking Bad? Okay, so if you haven't seen the show, you got his name is Walter White. Uh, he is a great chemist, but instead of you know doing great things with chemistry, he decides to make the meth. And he buys himself a motorhome, which apparently is always bad. Uh, and, and so in the end of the show, you realize all the knowledge he had was never lived out in wisdom. And in the end, it destroyed his life. Knowledge, unless properly used, is not good. Knowledge by itself often leads to pride. When, last week, we talked about Paul talking to these people about food, sacrifice to idols, and having all this judgment against one another. That's because it was all knowledge. It hadn't been getting to live out practically. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul, when he starts this, he says, We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It tells you that knowledge, when it sits alone and doesn't go anywhere, kind of begins to make us arrogant and mean because we sit around and we learn all these things and we think we know so much better than everybody else, but when we're not living that out, we don't live in real wisdom. Uh, this can make us very arrogant. In the Bible, there, there's good and bad knowledge. Like, like there's some knowledge mankind was never supposed to need. We didn't need knowledge of sin and death. It was not necessary to our true and real life. Because man wanted knowledge more than it wanted God, we broke relationship with God and ran away from him. And today you will see this even how people hide things from one another even today. Because we don't need to have an intimate knowledge of alcoholism or drug abuse or cheating on a spouse or having a cat as a pet or any of those things like that. There's, there's some knowledge that we simply don't need. Knowledge is meant to be the first step. It is facts and truth, but it's supposed to transition into wisdom. So knowledge is principles and wisdom then becomes practice. In James 1.22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The NIV says, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. So knowledge is listening and learning and wisdom is then doing what we then know to be true. Like we'd spent those 16 weeks learning about the gospel. How do we live that out? Well, that's wisdom. Knowledge comes fast. Wisdom comes slow. Wisdom is birth through life experience. I don't know if you've ever learned a lot about something, maybe watched YouTube videos and then decided to go and try and do it and realized you did not know as much as you thought you knew about something. When, when I was younger, I, they taught driver's ed in high school. Didn't have to pay for it. I know, crazy, right? So I had driver's ed in high school, and our teacher put four of us in a car. They took all the other students, and they stuck them on a street corner. I know that also sounds really bad. Put them on a street corner and had them watch us drive through the intersection, and they were all supposed to write down all the infractions they saw us do through the intersection. Now, my dad, when I was growing up, would take me to the beach. He would get out of his truck and say, go driving. Let me know when you're done, which is also not smart. Not a lot of wisdom growing up. Anyway, uh, so I thought I knew how to drive. So I'm in the car with everybody else. I'm like, yeah, no, no. I'm just talking. And I drive through the intersection. We get back. I had four infractions just driving through the intersection. I did not know what I was doing. I have people come into my office for premarital counseling, and they say things like, we know each other so well, we're never going to fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
And I'm like, ha, we're soulmates. <laughs> that's Hollywood. That, that's, that's not real life. You know, how, how about when people are, say things like, you know, we're, when we have kids, I mean, our kids are going to be great. I've sat in groups where ki- the people's kids are out of control. That's not going to be my kids. <laughs> people just don't get it. They, 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 don't, they don't get it. You raise kids like, oh, I spanked my kid and he spanked me back. What's going on? I, I don't know. It's, reading books, watching videos, taking classes, they're all great things. But until we live it out, it makes no difference. Some people are in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, and they never begin to actually live out the things that they learn. It has to begin to be lived out. Open your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Knowledge has to become wisdom. It has to become wisdom. It's very practical, and hopefully that, that makes sense. And one of the first things you'll see that wisdom does is it brings humility, usually because you've made a lot of mistakes, and that tends to make us humble. James chapter 3, verse 13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, that's the word humbleness, of wisdom. And so it shows you that wisdom is going to bring humbleness. Too many people who claim to be humble are too arrogant to listen to anybody who gives them any good advice. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be dis- order and every vile practice. And just like we have to be careful because there's two types of knowledge, there's also two types of wisdom. There's false wisdom and true wisdom. False wisdom, it leads to pride and sin and chaos. You have, might have met some of these people in your life. They have gone through tons of life experience, but they've never let that life experience change them into a place of humbleness. They just keep talking about all their life experiences. They're not. It's like they keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over and over it's like someday you got to wake up someday that's got to turn into wisdom someday you're going to be humble and be like yeah i probably shouldn't do that anymore but it just doesn't if you never met somebody like that it just might be you you're welcome uh true wisdom comes from god and it causes humility and it causes unity and it causes to live out good ways that we've understand what the gospel has done in us it brings about the forward proclamation of the good news of jesus And so when you read these things in scripture about like loving people and loving your spouse and giving to the work of God with money and time and energy, and we live that out without any expectation of self-recognition, but simply because we love God because he first loved us, that's true wisdom. When we can be a people who are stop stop being offended by all the morons around us because we realize that we were once morons as well, and we probably still are half the time, and the only difference is that Jesus has come and made a difference in our hearts because we can see the places where we have been a moron. It's, that's the, we it, live in a place of humility. And if you want to see our culture change, it starts with Jesus' wisdom and not mine and not yours. We need wisdom and knowledge so we can participate in God's work of creating a culture that honors who he is in all things. That makes sense? Okay, so what is a culture? Uh, Kim Zimmerman says this, Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people defined by everything from language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and arts. What she says is, a culture is what makes us, us. Uh, The Center for Advanced Research on Language Acquisition, if it was me, I would just call it CARLA for short, 
but they don't. Whatever, I don't know. Um, they say, you define culture as shared patterns of behavior and interactions, cognitive constructs, and understanding that are learned by socialization. Thus, it can be seen as the growth of a group identity fostered by social patterns unique to the group. You're like, what? Yeah, it means it's what makes us us. I think the exact opposite is actually true. I think that the culture around us is the outworkings of the human heart. That's what I think culture is. It's not culture influence. I think we influence culture. People say things like, we need to fix Hollywood because it's ruining people. We've got to fix politics because it's ruining people. We've got to fix education. It's, it's ruining people. It's all the chicken versus the egg. The truth is we need to have wisdom to accept the hard reality that we create the culture and the culture reflects us. Everything we dislike about culture comes about from places of the warped human heart. Uh, I have this great quote, and I, and I can't, couldn't find who, who gave it. I even Googled it, but the Google gods didn't return any results. But it's not me, but this is what they said. Culture is the collection of fluid ways that a group of people express their values. It's the group, it's the way that we express our values. Now, in my mind, that means two things. Number one, every culture is going to contain the outworkings of the image and likeness of God because we are all created in the image and likeness of God. But secondly, it also means that every culture will also contain the marring effects of human sin. Every culture. Uh, which means that before we can fix culture, we ourselves need to be fixed, transformed, redeemed, restored, born again. Uh, someone once said that, Tom, Thomas Merton said that we are all angels and demons wrapped up in meat. And kind of what that means is that we're made in God's image to live and bear out who he is to the world. It's one of the reasons why God didn't let his people make any images of him because we have a tendency to worship the images and not God himself. That's why in a lot of uh, churches, you know, people venerate and worship the cross and not the one who died on the cross for them. Being God's image bearers means we live out in the world who God is speaking his good news. We show who he is by how we live. But because of the fall and sin in the world, the world is still sinful and depraved. And because we're made in God's image, we naturally will do some things like create. Like some people like to create music, and some people like to create art, and some people like to build things, and, and some people like to make car engines and things like that. If you give me enough time, I could probably tell you what you're creating in your life. And because we are made in God's image, we also create a culture in the midst of all that we do. And so the question is, what type of cultures are we creating wherever we are? Because cultures are made, they can be said to have a soul, so is the soul of a culture for or against God. Does it honor or dishonor him? Like, if you are married, in your home, does how you treat your spouse, what kind of culture is that creating in your home? How you treat and, and raise your kids and discipline them, what kind of culture is that creating? If you have a job, how do you speak about your boss, or how do you talk about your fellow employees? What type of culture are you creating in the midst of that? Is it God-honoring? Is it not God-honoring? How do we as element do church? Are we creating a Jesus-honoring culture? We've got to ask where our hope is and where our focus is because this will move out from our homes, from our churches to Santa Maria, to California, to the United States. That Usually the problems in the heart and soul of a city, a state, or a country is that it's a reflection of us and who we are. And so we cannot simply blame it on someone else. We've got to take a good hard look about who we are and where we are at and determine what kind of needs to change in us through the good news of the gospel before we can move on to changing culture at large. And so I would encourage you to look at what you spend your time and your energy and your money on and ask if it honors Jesus because cultures are not neutral. 
everything that we're doing is creating some type of culture. Is it for or against Jesus? So from the scriptures, what I want to do is I want to give you three hallmarks of a corrupted culture. You're like, well, this is really negative. Well, I know, but I'm a guy that likes the bad news first and then the good news. I'll give you some good news next week. But I feel like I'd rather have the Band-Aid ripped off and then get the ice cream than eat the ice cream and then pull the Band-Aid off. I don't know. I'm just that way. I don't think it's, it's pessimistic. I just, I'd rather eat my vegetables and then eat the things I like. So, okay. Anyway, I'm going to give you your vegetables. This is three hallmarks of a corrupted culture. Uh, could be in our home, could be in our city, could be in our state, could be in our world. Uh, this is from Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, and this is what it says. My people, infants, that's youth, are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides, this would be their words for their spiritual leaders, so like their pastors, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. So the first hallmark of a corrupted culture is that youth is worshipped in an idolatrous form. Let me ask you this. Do you think youth is driving pop culture today? Yes. And the older you get, the more you're like, yes, yes, it is. The most coveted demographic in TV ratings is that Jimmy Wyman writes this. Young adult viewers have been TV's target demographic for decades because they're thought to have less brand loyalty and more disposable income. Let me explain to you what that means. When my wife and I first got married, uh, I grew up having Colgate as my toothpaste. She grew up having Crest as her toothpaste. And so when we got married, what did we do? We bought Colgate that tasted like Crest. That's what we did. Now, I mean, we've been married 25 years. You know what we do now? I have Colgate. She has Crest. We just went back to right. It's called brand loyalty. You grew up with it. No, you can't brush your teeth with Sensodyne. I don't even know what that is. But yeah, because I need the Colgate. That's what I got to buy. And it's brand loyalty. The older you get, the more set in your ways that you are. So they go after younger people because they don't have their brand loyalty and they think they have more disposable income. It's usually because they have college loans and they spend it on all kinds of things that they shouldn't. But anyway, so they go after these people. MTV, AMC, NBC, CBS, they say 18 to 25 year olds run the culture. Everyone is trying to be them. How do they program for 18 to 25 years olds? Sex. That's how you program for them. Why? Because you're full of emotion. You're full of like hormones. And you're like, ah, it's like, let's program for that. That's what they do. The the big thing now on like TV shows and movies, it's not like, hey, let's get married. The big thing is, is, hey, you want to move in together? That's like seeing the big thing of commitment today. Ladies, as kind of as I can say this to you, that's not commitment. That is a guy that's getting easy sex without the commitment. That's that's what that is. We today on TV will program love in 22 to 44 minute segments. Everything is tied up like a nice little bow at the end of an episode. And kids think, hey, that's how life's actually supposed to be. And they can't handle real pain and loss and rejection. Our culture today is taught that you hide your age as long as you can. It's like you color it and you dye it and you Botox it and you inject it. Have you seen some of the botched face surgeries that some stars walk around with? They look like the Joker after he fell in that vat of ass. And like... I didn't say who, I'm just saying, okay? And they think they look better than they did before. Well, you are told, you're not beautiful if you're old. You're not wise if you're old. You're not smart if you're old in our culture. You're just old. In a godless culture, there's no respect for real wisdom. Everything is based on useful, youthful reaction. And you see this today. What do we do when we feel like someone offends us? We react. Everything that happens around us, we react to. Because that's a youthful culture. It's not a culture that lives in wisdom. Everything is reaction. And maybe it's because I'm old, but I think gray hair and wrinkled skin is a sign of beauty. But our culture doesn't. 
If you watch TV, uh, you pick up magazines on a magazine rack. Many times today, they'll take 14 to 19-year-old girls and dress them up like women and make that the height of what everybody's supposed to attain. But you can't attain that because it's impossible and it's false. Because when you are young and you rub your eyes or you scratch your skin, everything goes back to where it's supposed to be. When you get older, you think twice about it. You're like, I don't want to rub my eyes. They might just stay that way. You got an itch. You got to think, how bad is this itch? Because if I scratch it, I may just rip my skin off. So you, you got to think twice about it. There's all kinds of wisdom when people get to that place in their life that they were supposed to have learned from the things where they have failed. There's supposed to be much wisdom there. And we're supposed to look at that and say, that is a sign of wisdom. The, the gray hair, the no hair, the, the wrinkled skin, it's meant to be beautiful. When a culture is addicted to youth, it is immature and f- foolish. It makes rash decisions all the time. It doesn't think about legacy or God because they have not spent the time to find wisdom. I'll tell you, Taylor Swift, she has not unpacked the secrets of the universe, even if she has dated and been dumped by every guy in the music scene, okay? One Direction cannot plan a ground war in Afghanistan. They probably can't even spell Afghanistan. I don't know if I can fill it, spell Afghanistan. Katy Perry's not going to find the cure for cancer because it takes time to gain wisdom. When a culture is obsessed by youth, they're shallow. It's like fast food. It tastes really good at the moment, but you just might regret it later. And the older you get, the more you regret it later. That's wisdom right there, okay? Everything about a culture focused on youth is about being excited. What's new? What's next? I got to buy this. I got to be the first adopter. I got to get that. I got to go there. And nothing lasts. And Isaiah says, woe to those who live in a culture who are held captive by a culture that is focused on youth. And that's our culture today. The second thing he says is this. He says, women rule over them. Now, before I get shot, let me just explain what this means. Because in our cultural context, you've got to be really careful about the words that you say. It's a style taboo. We have to understand that God has created creation a certain way where he made male and female equal. And if you don't understand that, you will create a gender war where one wants to rule over the other. For years, centuries, in fact, millennia, it's the chauvinists who won. And some people think that the feminists are now winning. I don't know. I still think the chauvinists are winning based upon what actually gets put on TV. And our culture is always trying to decide, well, who's going to win and who's going to lose and what side am I going to be on? The scripture says we're supposed to do life as allies together. The idea that someone has to win is a result of a culture that doesn't honor God first. Every time I say the words feminism up here, I will typically get a few emails from different people about how I might have talked about it wrong. So instead of me mansplaining it to you as a dude, I'm going to quote one of the last ones that I got. It's, it's from a woman. It's not despairing about who the, this lady loves Jesus, and I think she's highly intelligent, and she sees many of the ills that chauvinism has brought about. So after we talked for a little bit, this is what she said, and I think this is good. The definition of feminism should be the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of political, social, and economic equality to men. I think that's great. I, I, I totally agree with that. The problem for me comes down to is that many times we focus on the men and not upon Jesus first. The way culture will always get off track is we focus on someone other than Jesus and the gospel. I always think the answer to forming some type of movement is recentering everybody back on the person of Jesus. And if we're going to create a culture, we must have a culture that focuses on Jesus first. If there is sin committed against someone, I want to see repentance on the offender's part, not just a movement that comes and stands against someone else. And I'm not saying movements are bad or wrong. In our, in our world today, not a lot of people out there love Jesus. And so sometimes movements do need to take place. 
But I think for us as a people, even in the midst of all we do, Jesus must be the focus of what we do. And when that happens, equality will become the normal. Because we live in a fallen world of misplaced values, but we can have the dream of what culture was supposed to be. And we can begin to live that out even now, centered on Jesus. A hallmark of a culture that doesn't honor Jesus is a place where people lord power over others. And the third thing is marked by leaders or pastors who teach poorly or go along with whatever culture says is relevant at the time. Uh, Apparently, I am never relevant, so there you go. Uh, My critique here is not just against the whole world. It's really more against the church in itself. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, the Apostle Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, this doesn't mean that we get to be a judgmental people in the church and be like, oh, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to judge you. No, what what it means is that inside the church, we have a relationship with other believers. And we're to look at our lives together, and we need to talk about the dangers of where we're creating cultures that dishonor Jesus in our lives. Inside the church, not outside. I am not surprised that water is wet and dirt is dirty and poop stinks, and I am not surprised when people who don't know God do bad things. And I'm not surprised when they also do good things because they're made in his image. We're to take care of our own business as a people. So we are creating a culture that honors God. And, and this means that it starts at home with us, that, that pastors need accountability in what they teach and how they live because they are going to teach other people these things. And so for me, th- this is why I've told you before, I do not lead a gospel community. I am in a gospel community. Because I have placed myself under someone else's authority, my gospel community leader. Although he and I do like to argue about things a lot, I'm right. But we, because I'm very type A, you know. But I've also placed myself under the authority of some of my friends. I've placed myself under the authority of the other elders that are at Element. Because we all need this. If there is a pastor or a church leader without a clear delineation of accountability, they will always have the propensity to mislead and move everyone into sin. And so, guys, what I do as my job, I believe being a pastor is a privilege and it is not a right. And I think if pastors want to be respected, they need to be respectable. And so I want to be able to create a culture where that happens in our leadership as well. Because part of a hallmark of a culture that doesn't love or honor Jesus is where pastors or spiritual leaders do whatever they want and they get people to follow them. I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow Jesus. That's what I want you to do. And so, as succinctly as I can, starting the book of Proverbs, I want to start with a call to remember who we are as a people, that we are typically very lost. We always think we know what's best. And when we think we know what's best, we tend to run things off the rails and mess everything up. I think that we should be a church that has fostered the ability that we can talk about our mistakes. And the older we get, the more humble we become. And so we can go talk to people who are older and say, tell me about this life experience. How did you make it through this when this happened to you? And we can actually get good, humble wisdom centered on the gospel because that's where it's supposed to come from. If we're going to redefine culture and life, it needs to be as a people who understand the good news of what Jesus has done, which makes us humble and makes us be able to step into all the horrible decisions that we have made so that we can then begin to live out the good news of the gospel everywhere else. And I know it's weird starting the book of Proverbs without even quoting one proverb. I get it, but I got to set the stage for where we were going. Okay, because if I start somewhere else, I don't want to have to redirect back. This is where, this is where we got to go. Um, as we go through the things we talk about over the next few months, some of them may seem a little bit foreign to you. You may want to rebel against some of the things because it's not what our culture says, but that's actually a good thing. 
Uh, and if we don't have a God who can disagree with us and all the little things that we've set up in our life, we don't really, really have a God other than ourselves, and that's idolatry. God has to be able to reset us and refocus us and steer us where we need to go. We are called to be a people who are holy, and that simply means that we are different and set apart for God's purposes. And if what I say makes it sound like we're going to look different than everybody else, well, good. Because we actually are supposed to look a little bit different. Uh, Someone once said, only dead things float downstream. As Christians, we are meant to swim against the tide. We are. We're meant to swim against the tide to bring about good news of great joy of what God is doing. If you garden, uh, you know that weeds are easy. If you wanted a weed garden, done. What do you do? Nothing, right? But if you want a real garden of food you can actually eat, that takes a lot of work. You've got to weed the weeds out. God wants us to be gardeners. He wants us to tend the culture he calls us to create. It's going to be difficult, but I think beautiful in the end. And it all starts with our focus on the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to rescue and redeem us from our broken way of life. And in faith, we trust what he wants to do in us in redeemed and restored lives. This means we need to have imagination of what it would look like if husbands actually loved their wives like Christ loved the church. And if wives respected their husbands and if parents raised their kids and kids loved and honored their parents and God both, if friends would actually speak truth to one another and if we became a people who weren't like locusts and devoured everything around us, but we actually gave back. And we actually saw the need to begin to step into our culture and begin to make a difference. And I'll tell you, if you walk out these doors, you're not going to see the world we're called to. But it can begin in our imagination. And we can have great joy of what God's going to do through us. So we read the scriptures and realize that God is holy. He is making us holy as well. Then we begin that work. And it might take a very long time to see it. it you may not, if we, if we do it right, it may not even be to your grandkids come around that you get to see this. But it's imagination and patience. It is faith to see it, hope that it can happen. Love is the motivation. It's a lot of work, but it's exciting. And I think some of you in this room, you have a lot of time to see it happen, right? Others, others of us, not so much time. Okay, because our lives are, shh. no, it's not funny. I thought it was. Some of us have left time than others. But at the time that we have left, this is why we want to focus on our understanding of the gospel where we did the last 16 weeks and didn't see that coming and then begin to live that out. Because it, it's going to take time and patience and energy, but all of that stuff comes from first understanding what Jesus has done to rescue us. Because that rescue is what gives us the motivation to live out in the world around us, the great rescue that we ourselves have received. This is why we take you to communion every single week. It's why we have you break that cracker to remind you of Christ's body that was broken for all of us. It's why we have you dip it in the wine of the grape juice so it reminds you of his blood that was shed for you and me. So we as a people actually begin to live out the good news that we have first received. Because no matter what we do, we will be creating a culture somewhere. And the culture that we create will either reflect Jesus or dishonor Jesus. And we want to do in all things a culture that honors who he is. And that means, you know, maybe sometimes if you're married and you, and you argue about something really stupid or you say something you, you shouldn't, a culture that honors Jesus would actually just step in and own up to that mistake and apologize and say, I want to be better. Will you help me to be better? In the middle of a fight, sometimes it's, you know what, I know we're really angry. How about we just stop and pray real quick? Sometimes that makes somebody really mad. Oh, you're not any spiritual now? Just go with it, okay? Just go with it. Oh, oh, you know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Just go with it, all right? <laughs> That's happened before to me. Uh, go with it. Because, because it's going to be hard to change, but it takes a lot of garden tending. And our God is good. And there is grace, and there is hope for every single one of us. The van's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you guys to take communion. Uh, as, they, as they take communion, 
Uh, I'm going to invite you to pray in the back. There'll be some deacons and elders back there. If you need prayer, uh, they would love to pray with you. Uh, they would love to. If you have maybe somebody in your life that you have maybe not had the best relationship with because you think that they don't live in wisdom at all and you do and you're so smart and they're so dumb, you probably don't want to pray about that, okay? Because many times when we think that we don't have anything to work through, that's when we're living in places that are dishonoring to Jesus. We're creating a dishonoring culture to who he is. And so we need to be people who understand our own mistakes, our own problems, and that in the good news of the gospel, Jesus took care of those at the place of the cross so we can have restored relationship. Our relationships are restored because of what Jesus has done himself. So we trust him for all of those things. And if you need prayer, you know, maybe you're not living in wisdom right now, but you'd really like to. You'd like to be able to, to own up to your own mistakes, but you don't even know how to begin to do that. They'd love to pray with you about that. They'd love to talk to you about that. There's offering boxes next to every one of the doors we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's food outside. I invite you to grab something to eat, take some of the sermon notes. Maybe this week, talk to one another about who's the wisest person you know, who's the dumbest person you know. Could both be the same person. Okay. Sometimes I feel like that. Not that I'm wise, but anyway. Um, and, and start talking to those things. And, and the places where you know wisdom will lead you to own your mistakes, to lay it at the foot of the cross, to understand that God is calling you back into relationship, and then take all the places where we failed and realize that God can make things even beautiful out of our failures. And that he can grow us into the people he intends for us to be because he is the one who rescues and restores. And the people who bring about a culture that centers on him are people who understand that. That yes, when somebody messes up, we don't have to hold it against them their entire lives. We can actually come to a place where we forgive and bring hope and reconciliation because our God has done that with us. A God-honoring culture is one that lives in wisdom and hope because it's the hope that he has first provided. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us, after all that we've learned about the gospel and the good news, to begin to live that out in a way that makes a difference in the culture around us. Father, that it would start in our homes, but it wouldn't end there. That it would go into our neighborhoods and our, and our workplaces where we're not afraid to own up to our mistakes. And that we would be a people who would say before you that we are the ones who are broken and used and also the ones who have broken and used others. And that by your grace, we can be brought in again that our relationship with you and others can be restored because of what you have done to restore us. I ask that you would teach us to live out in our world today the understanding that you are the one who saves us and forgives us, that you are the one who brings us back in, and that we would then be those who live out your rescue in the midst of this world. Father, many times we want everybody else to begin to live in wisdom but not ourselves. And so today I ask that you would teach us to see our own folly and our own misguidedness and that we would begin to live lives that love you by living in the honesty of our own failures and the hope that you bring. Teach us to create cultures that honor you because you are good and you have rescued us. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.